0: towards Memphis, bouncing around, Matter to cut it back again, and Rashford has got the dream goal that he was looking for in his debut and one he will never, ever forget. Written in the stars from Manchester United, and there he is again, Marcus Rashford at the double, some debut list. He couldn't even dream that last night.
1: Hello and welcome to Action Replay's Extra Time Podcast. Today we're going to talk penalties with Ben Littleton, Marcus Rashford's Dream Week, Capital One Cup and Leicester's late win against Norwich to keep the dream alive. With me here in the studio is Breen McGinn and Enda Call. I'm Gavin O'Callaghan and on the decks we have Jack O'Toole. Lads, I'm going to start with a question for you again, the classic you Are the ref from the Guardian. Um, a controversial manager is serving a two-game ban. As you walk past his side's dressing room before kickoff, you see his face on a big screen. He's giving a team talk via Skype. What action do you take? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Skype. He's giving a team he's not allowed in the He's got a stadium ban. Um so Chelsea supporter are you yeah, probably no, familiar with uh, no, this. I,
1: Jose Mourinho's been accused of similar things in the past. I
2: don't think you're allowed f- to phone call anyone. I, I don't I think it's that's not allowed. Technically a video call, not, so Yeah. It is a call though. You're not allowed to ring someone on the phone. I don't think I don't think it's allowed.
1: There's no need to storm in here. A stadium ban is imposed by the game's authorities and they can judge what further action is taken. <laughs> Simply advise the club secretary that you've seen what is happening and it will be included in your report. Then start the game as normal. <laughs> <laughs> that was a terrible ending. I thought we'd get yeah. a lot more dramatic than I that. I thought
2: there was going to be like, rip the laptop off. So there's been
1: one man that's been making all the headlines this week and that's Marcus Rashford. Four goals in two games Six for an 18-year-old. What he's thinking? <laughs> oh,
2: he needs a vet. He's a sick puppy. Jesus! <laughs> what a man! <laughs> what a man! Like the the ball has fallen to him. You know, there's there's strikers in out in that game that that can't pray for a goal. They they're praying for goals and it's not coming. What an absolute the best story of the season, I think, so far. It's, it's, you know, go away with your Jamie Vardy and go away with everyone else. Leicester, Spurs. You know, this is an 18 year old boy who sat his chemistry exam the next day. Apparently. Uh, which he did say that he's had more fun scoring the two goals uh, against Arsenal but against Arsenal of all teams as well you know the, the, the kind of the back when you know Rooney was, was young and, and you know Giggs and all these they, 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 that was the rival that was the rivalry to uh, to watch and Do you
1: remember another certain Manchester United player I can't a, his name a Premier League this, debut against I can't Arsenal. think of his
2: name what's his name
1: uh, oh, I'm not too sure oh, oh, we might have a clip William? It. Was it, was <laughs> William, it William William <laughs> Adam
3: <laughs> Grabison forward Rooney, instant control. Really? Oh yes, oh, yes. this chance uh, Oh yes, brilliant goal!
4: A brilliant goal! I remember. Remember
3: the name, Wayne
2: Rooney. This. on uh, one of the old FIFAs, I think so, yeah. yeah yeah they used to have the commentary for good
1: uh, important goals so. I suppose the lesson here for Marcus Rashford is don't get too far ahead of yourself because Rooney didn't really go into, onto anything after doing that so. <laughs>
4: yeah, he, he didn't really amount to anything he wasn't really a big player for United after that
1: but he also had a um, he made his Champions League debut before it's, for Manchester United scored the hat-trick against Fenerbahce as well yeah so.
4: exactly it's very
1: similar but Marcus <laughs> Rashford's going to win the Ballon d'Or end of.
4: I uh, wouldn't go that far when Rene <laughs> didn't win it. So, uh, but no, like I saw him playing in the uh, European match the week before, uh, the midweek before that, and he actually looked like a decent player. He was powerful and fast, exactly the way Rene was when he was younger. But I'm not going to skip ahead to the conclusion that he's the next winner Rene or anything like that. There, but United's offering him a twenty thousand a week contract now after. After one week of football So it's been a good week for him And he passed his chemistry exam as well
1: (laughs) Delighted for him with the chemistry exam Do you think Martial's going to struggle To get his place back then?
4: (laughs) I I highly doubt that Martial looks like The next big, big player in the Premier League if If I'm being completely honest If not biased uh, but uh, <laughs> it's basically the same thing. <laughs> uh, I don't think he's going to struggle to get a place from uh, Marcus Rashford, but it's nice to see players coming through the academy. And if one thing can be said about Van Hal's reign, even though he wasn't given any choice, the players are coming through for the academy. And it's nice to actually see it happening in a club that has been drowned in absolute just depression for the past three years. And then either of you see Van Hals fall. Brilliant. Oscar winning I didn't
2: see the incident I'd have to wait till I get back and, uh, So you haven't been on the internet <laughs> I'm only joking, in the last no. 24 hours then. Oh, It was a dive you know at the end of a press conference he just said well, what do you think it was a dive oh I didn't see the incident yet. <laughs> no. oh it was very very good but you know the same fans that were probably booing Van Gaal before the few weeks before are now singing Louis Van Gaal's army it was hilarious I thought it was oh. funny and I, I strongly dislike Louis Van Hal, It's a bit like the Phoenix supporters <laughs> as well <laughs> <laughs> over the weekend how quickly Andy Kenny's just been thrown under yeah, a bus Yeah it's <laughs> not the time or place.
4: <laughs> I'll, I'll put it this way though: like it was, it was the first time I've seen Van Hal out in the touchdown yeah. this year, and for a United fan, that's that's good to see. Like,
2: wasn't around the studs. The
4: most frustrating thing about Van Hal is he just sits there with his notepad. No matter what has happened, we could four 0 up, four 0 down, and he's sitting scribbling in his notepad, and it's, it was just it was. Refreshing to see him out in the touchline. Do
2: you think he's having fun because it's his last days? You think, or do you think now he genuinely thinks if he can win back the support of the club and the fans?
4: I I think he's gone to be honest. I I don't care whether we go on to win the FA Cup, go on to win the the Europa League. You can't have the record he's had this year and stay at United. It's just not good enough. But he could he could be like you said could be enjoying his last few days. Is the biggest. Head of the biggest S- club in the world,
2: set to retire as well, I
1: think. So just moving on to the next game, we um, Rashford does have a bit of a rival for this weekend's limelight, and that's another unlikely hero, Willy Caballero.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, fantastic J- saves! Yeah, oh he very patient and it seemed very mature because I watched him against Chelsea in the FA Cup the week before, and he was a donkey. Like he, he instead of standing up before until the shot was taken, Hazard passed the ball into net with a free kick around the wall. He, he. He was on his side of the of the of the goal, and uh, he jumped back over and and has it just passed it in, and it was it was kind of embarrassing. There was a few other goals he should have done a lot better, but uh it, it's completely surprised me. And you know, it's kind of this is the new thing. You know, have your second string keeper start the cup games, and it, it's it stood up to him. You know, for fair play.
1: Well, he seems to do very very well for Coutinho's penalty. You know, yeah, Coutinho did stutter. did the stutter. He seemed to do everything right, and Capuera stands his ground and must have I, done his I, research. I
4: I thought Coutinho completely was, completely was absolutely. Pathetic, if I'm honest. He shouldn't. I don't understand this whole idea of a stutter. Like he he stopped. That's technically against the rules. I will have Ben
1: Littleton on in a while (laughs) to go through the stutter. But um, yeah, he just seemed to completely catch him out because I suppose Coutinho isn't is no stranger to take taking very very decent penalties, and he was just waiting, waiting, waiting for the keeper to to choose one side. Completely caught him out, standing his ground. Yeah, but
4: did you see the picture of Yaya Touré in the dressing room afterwards? <laughs> he was sulking by himself while the players was... were uh, while the players were celebrating.
1: But did you even notice when he scored the brilliant penalty as well? By Yaya, yeah, yeah, but he scored the penalty. He completely steered to the right towards the uh, the crowd and the photographers, mm. and nobody again, kind of like talking about Ayonat show the other week. Nobody ran with Toré; <laughs> they went straight for the real, the
2: yeah. real hero. It's, it's a bit of a it's a mystery there isn't it they don't yeah. know what they want if if it's a success or
1: not you know so you have to have a bit of an ego to go up and take that fifth penalty really
2: or if it was the fourth in this case actually yeah it, it was the fourth it was yeah but still it was the winning one yeah. uh, like it'd, be, it a, out it'd be a
4: different situation if it was like if it was a sudden death penalty, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> Cab- no, winning, I still think okay. winning a cup
2: is winning a cup, you know. But, but. but
4: it wasn't Yaya who won the cup, it was Caballero saved the three penalties. Yeah. That could that would have been a normal penalty you if it still wasn't need
2: for some bottle. You still need some battle to score, to score that. And it was a great penalty because the keeper guessed the right side.
1: So uh, Simon Mignolet, he had a pretty decent game as well. Do you think Liverpool were unlucky not to get anything more from this match?
2: I No, I think I think City deserved to win just narrowly. I, um, I thought City had the majority of the danger dangerous possession uh I thought both teams were like you know both both sides were, like before the game, even the commentators were saying I was expecting a lot of goals. it seemed like even though they both scored a goal, both teams a score seemed like they still kind of canceled each other out Raheem sterling had a load of possession in that mm. first half that was very ineffective. Uh he was kind of being double marked there on the left, but uh uh he made some terrific saves. He could have done a lot better for the goal, uh which is kind of a recurring theme this year. But uh you know, I it's to say that Liverpool should have got something out of the game. I know it goes down to penalties and anyone can win, but uh it would have been a little bit of a robbery, if uh, it, but sure you know Jurgen Klopp wouldn't have minded. That's not going to come to any cancellation today or yesterday, anyway.
1: Yep. So just going back to the Premier League, um, Leinster are Leicester, not Leinster. Leicester bounced back to steal a victory at home to Norwich, put them five points clear of Arsenal, two points clear of Spurs, and we'll just have a listen to the hero of the weekend, Olaf.
4: Today, but
3: on
1: After last week's defeat to Arsenal and just the way it happened so late on, how important was that win for Leicester?
4: It was an unbelievable win for Leicester. I mean, everyone always says, no matter how the game goes, champions always find a way to win. And... You know, Leicester are really shaping up to be champions this year, and I'm, I'm turning into a Leicester fan. It still feels a bit funny saying that. It really it? does. Like it, it, it's just mad the fact that Leicester City are going to win the league this year, and it's like I think it's it's going to come down to the wire anyway. Tottenham are going to keep keep pressing them until the final week. Well, yeah. Tottenham
1: got they got through their uh, Europa League tie in the week, and strangely enough, didn't bottle it like some people would have. Nearly predicted. did. Well, nearly did, but they they pulled through on Swansea. Can you see them staying persistent with this, or do you think the the further they go into European competition, the less likely they are to continue? It's
2: weird because they're starting near full strength sides in the Europa League, which is is very bizarre. And w- usually, it's the other way around, and then we'd see them kind of downfall and, uh, but. It's all a matter of if he could keep the players fit in it. Uh, Harry Kane has been the big question mark. If he gets injured, who do they really have? They've. Uh, on a, What's. I can't think. What. Onima, yeah, your man uh the, mm-hmm. the the backup striker and uh they could put the sun up there as well.
4: We N G as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, N G. But then you know, I wouldn't really trust them at up up at the front. So you know what if if they're gonna keep it the same thing and keep the the positive winning streak going with the same team, same starting uh, eleven, you know, like that's how Mourinho won his first two leagues, he started the same okay. eleven. For, t- for game after game after game. I, I can see Spurs at least staying contenders until the last weeks of the season.
1: Just looking at their next few fixtures in all competitions, they've got West Ham away tomorrow night, then they've got Arsenal at home, and then they'll have Dortmund away the next Thursday following in the Europa League. Meanwhile, Leicester will have West Brom at home, Watford away, and then Newcastle United at home.
2: Yeah, that's a that's to- complete other size of the spectrum, isn't it?
4: Yeah, I think Europa league is going to prove a big, big... Uh, factor and whether Tottenham keep going or not. Uh Dortmund's obviously going to be a very, very tough fixture for them. Arsenal, whether Arsenal bounce back or whether they bottle it again, I don't know. I'm very annoyed at Arsenal. I I was saying throughout the season they're not going to bottle it, but they bottled it. <laughs> and uh, I think I, I honestly think Leicester's going to go on to win the league, and I really hope they do.
1: Alright so before we move on to our main guest we'll just have some quick fire predictions through tonight and tomorrow night's Premier League so how do you reckon Leicester will fare at home to West Brom tonight?
2: 2-0 uh, no. Yeah I'm going to go 1-0 because West Brom no no there's going to be goals 2-1 two, two, And one.
1: Norwich at home to Chelsea? Uh,
2: I think Chelsea going to go 3-1 because just because they're be- they're playing in very very good stuff at night now
1: uh, Everton away to Aston Villa?
4: It's impossible to tell with Everton um, my... My head says 3-0 Everton, but Everton, being Everton, I'm going to say 2-2. 1-0. <laughs> Aye,
2: bournemouth at home to Southampton?
4: Oh, uh,
2: Southampton are playing really, really weird football. They're playing two up the front along in Austin, which are, it's kind of long ball United kind of stuff, but now it's that with Southampton. I... I one all, one all I'm gonna go because Bournemouth plays Sunderland at home to Crystal Palace. That's a tough one. I that is the toughest one of them Palace all. Palace, yeah. The Palace. I think
4: Palace maybe. Mike Nicholas. One 0 Two one.
2: I'm gonna go. One nil all again they're going to cancel each
1: other out because they're both needing points so it seems all the big dogs are on Wednesday night this week Newcastle United away to Stoke <laughs> thanks. thanks a <laughs> Um,
2: Newcastle have a good record against Stoke they've got 18 days now without a fixture oh that's f- very fresh though I'd say McLaren smiling away oh <laughs> uh, yeah um, I think Stoke pip me. They're, they're coming back into a bit of form after a bad run run themselves uh, I think I think it could be Stoke one nil.
4: um um, I'll go Stoke one Okay, well. moving on West Ham at home <laughs> to Tottenham Hotspur uh, I'm going to go 2-1 Tot- Tottenham
1: uh, One all draw Liverpool home to City
2: Oh, um, it's the Usually it's really. it's the, the, the it goes the other way The result when, when two teams Meet in two different competitions like, yeah, So I'm going to go with Liverpool 2-1 I'm going to say Liverpool 2-0 uh, Manchester United at home to Watford
4: Oh 3-0 United Rochford with uh, a <laughs> no, hat-trick that's probably uh, about 80-1 so uh, 1-0 United
2: baby.
1: 2-0 and Arsenal at home to Swansea they'll need that win yeah very
2: very badly 2-0 Arsenal uh, 3-2 it's going to be a high score that's going to be the game of the week Right, thanks very much, lads. So
1: moving on, in light of the Capital One Cup final, we've got Soccernomics consultant and author of 12 Yards, the art and psychology of the perfect penalty, Ben Littleton, on the line to talk to us about all the factors that make penalties so captivating. First of all, Ben, thanks very much for joining us. Um, before we get started, you must have quite an obsession with spot kicks. What is it about them that made you write almost 370 pages on the subject?
3: <laughs> well, for a start, I'm English uh, and I'm an England fan. And before every major tournament, there's always a fear in England that the team will go out on penalties because it's happened six times in the last seven shootouts that the England team has had. And so before uh, the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, I thought I would try and see if I could help solve England's problem before we even got to it. As it turned out... England were so bad at that tournament that they didn't, they didn't even <laughs> get to penalties. They lost in the group stage, but maybe it will be helpful in the Euros this summer.
1: <laughs> so um, do you think the, the term lottery is a fair estimation of shootouts?
3: Well, I don't, actually, um, because that suggests that it's all about luck. While I, I do think some luck is involved, um, it's certainly not a lottery. And The best example, I guess, is Louis van Gaal at the World Cup when he made a, a substitution in extra time to change the goalkeeper. Um, Holland then beat Costa Rica in the ensuing shootout and Van Hal said yes well you know sometimes the coach makes a big difference in the shootout that was all that was all down to me and in the next game Holland lost on a penalty shootout <laughs> to Argentina in the semi-final and surprise surprise he said after the game well, penalties are just a, just a lottery, aren't they? <laughs> so yeah. they are a lottery if you lose, but not if you win.
1: So, you, like speaking of that game in particular, do you think that sub- substitution of Tim Crew had enough bearing on the shootout to maybe make it worth his while sacrificing a sub substitute for an outfield player? Because he's talking well,
3: about. I, I do in that case, Gavin. Yes, because it, it's so through um, the Costa Rican players that. Sillison, the guy who came off, actually had a very poor record um, in penalties anyway. He hadn't saved any of the 21 he'd faced before the tournament. And, in fact, he recently saved his first one. I think it was number 33. So uh, he was pretty poor at penalties. The surprise for me was that it was Tim Krul who came on and not Michel Vorm, who was the other substitute goalkeeper, because Vorm actually had a better record at saving penalties than Krul. But Krul had the... um, Stronger personality and was a bit more aggressive in his in his uh, interactions with the Costa Rican players, and it certainly did throw them. Uh, and you know, it could have been anyone who came on. It could have been either of the two. It was the fact that he changed the goalkeeper that really threw the Costa Ricans. Not necessarily who the goalkeeper was.
1: And does it matter who
3: shoots first? It does matter. Now this is where the only element of luck comes in, and that is the coin toss before the shootout. So if you win uh, the coin toss you should try and kick first because your chances of, of winning actually increase um, to 60%, 60-40 for the team that's winning first. This is over a huge number of penalty shootouts, and that's what, that's what it shows. That doesn't mean that that will always happen, but the reason that it's more likely to happen is because um, of something called negative balance, which comes at the end of the shootout. And if you're kicking to stay in the penalty shootout, so to avoid defeat you're much more likely to miss your penalty. Um, Whereas if you're kicking to win the shootout, you're much more likely to score the penalty. And the team kicking second, invariably, because they're second, when they're coming to the fourth and fifth kicks of the shootout, are kicking to, to survive. And the pressure is greater, and therefore the chances of failure also greater.
1: So it didn't really work out like that for Liverpool yesterday, who did get to shoot first. But um, Yaya, Torre, Aguero and Jesus Navas all found the the net in spite of Minule going the right way. Do you think that's something that they collectively trained for, like a particular technique? Or would you just put it down to their individual class?
3: I think it was probably down to individual... uh, preferences, uh, But what was interesting to me was that two years ago, Liverpool played Manchester <coughs> City in a pre-season friendly in New York and the game finished um, 2-2 and it went to penalties and Manchester City lost that shootout 3-1 and two, two of the players that missed were Yaya Toure and Jesus Navas and um, Mignolet was in goal. So there's always an element of previous history, even though that was a pretty much of a non-game because it was only a friendly. You know, Navas and Yaya had taken penalties against Minile before and seen them saved. So firstly, it was interesting to see Navas there anyway because um, he is a pretty introvert personality. Um, and having seen his last penalty saved, it was, it was a big call to, to put him up there. But I think what we saw with his celebration was this huge burst of emotion um, quite out of keeping with him as a character but I, I'm, I believe that that celebration really swung the momentum towards Man City because it came just after Lucas had missed his penalty which was Liverpool's first miss and I was surprised to see Lucas take a penalty at number two because um, why? why did, well, they, they had a lot of other players the captain didn't take one the star striker didn't take one Milner was down to probably take number five Um, So I was surprised to see Lucas take one. But Lucas actually scored in that shootout two years ago. So I can imagine he put his hand up and said, well, I've scored against Man City in a penalty shootout before. But um, there is um, studies that have been done that show that if you celebrate a goal after scoring in a shootout, you are more likely to go and win the shootout, um, which is a surprise because often you see um, in this tense, pressured situation, the guy scored a penalty and then just walked back very slowly to the penalty, to the center circle with a head down. You can't really tell if they scored or not. But it is a goal and it does count. And there is something called emotional contagion. And this idea that body language um, is. Uh, contagious and can affect the whole mood of not just the fans but the squad and the goalkeeper and the next player who's coming to take one as well it has an effect and I, and I really think that as soon as Navas did that celebration it actually helped City
4: So he, he celebrated in front of his own fans, do you think uh, shooting in front of your own fans has a bearing on uh, the outcome of the shootout?
3: Well, I've looked at this in, in some detail, and, and the answer is there is no statistical significance because it can work both ways. I mean, if you're in front of your own fans and you score, then there's huge cheers and, and it's great. But there's also the other side of the coin, which is there's more pressure on you because you're in front of your own fans. So the numbers actually show that there, there is no major difference to um, to, to which end of the, of the ground you're shooting at.
4: And is there any correlation uh, between the success rate of a player depending on on whether his teammate scored before him or not?
3: Well, again, this comes down to the game state of the shootout. So if um, you're kicking fourth and the scores are a three-all um, and one guy scores and one guy misses, so the guy kicking fifth has to, has to score to stay in it, then, yeah, his chances will decrease because of that. Um, staying, in, staying in the tournament is, in the shootout is a lot harder um, to convert, so from that point of view yes, but there's no direct correlation to if number one misses then number two is more likely to miss, so there's no direct correlation in terms of um, kicker order, but it's more um, towards the end of the shootout that that comes into effect
4: And uh, you, you see players now taking a stutter or taking a different run up in my opinion uh, a simplistic approach of just picking your spot and putting it in the back of the net uh, is the way to go, uh, what would your opinion be on that?
3: Well, there are two two clear ways of of taking penalties. One is, um, as you suggest, picking your spot and just putting your foot through the ball. And that is called the goalkeeper independent method. So whatever the goalkeeper does, you've made your decision independently of the goalkeeper and you pick your spot. And that really works for the likes of Shearer, Arturo Vidal, uh, Ricky Lambert, Zinedine Zidane as well. They just smash it and back themselves to, to hit the target. And even if the keeper goes the right way, He's, uh, he's not going to save it. And then there's the other way, which is called the goalkeeper-dependent method. And that is when you basically wait for the keeper to move first and you go the other way. Now, this is a much uh, more tricky penalty to take from a technical point of view because you need to be able to have quick feet, um, ice cool blood in your veins because you've got to make a very quick decision and requires a lot of practice. But the guys who are very good at this are people like Balotelli, Letizia, uh guys from Mendieta, Um, and over time it's been proven that actually the goalkeeper dependent method so waiting for the keeper to move first and then going for the other corner is actually more successful but it comes down to the individual and whatever works for you now the stutter thing is a, a, a hyped up version of the goalkeeper dependent method and it can work because Balotelli's made it work Neymar has has made it work in the past, although not so much recently. Um, But my feeling about the stutter run-up is it's okay if you are a regular penalty taker, and that's part of your routine. I mean, Eden Hazard did something similar for his first three years at Chelsea. Um, But when you're a non-regular penalty taker, like Coutinho, and you do it, it is much harder to convert because you're just not used to it. Um, I remember Benfica played in the Europa League final a couple of years ago, lost a Sevilla on penalties. And the two guys that missed were non-regular penalty takers, and they both failed on their penalties with stutter run-ups. I mean, if you're, if you're a non-regular penalty taker, you, are, you, know, you, sh- you shouldn't take a risk with, uh, with, with a hyped-up version of the goalkeeper-dependent. You can still score the, the goalkeeper-dependent method without doing the run-up. Um, and in fact, you've probably got better chance of doing it. So I'm like you, I'm anti the stutter run-up, but I'm actually pro the goalkeeper-dependent method.
1: Um, Adam Lallana was the only English man to take one yesterday, and to be fair to him, Caballero's save was spectacular. But where do you think the English have gone wrong regarding penalties down the years? And is this a trace that's only bodes true on the international stage?
3: <laughs> well, how long have you got? Um, there are there are reasons, I think, why England um, have failed in the past, serious ones, um, I'll give you a couple just straight off. One is um, their reaction times. So when you take a penalty, the referee blows his whistle and then you can take the penalty when you're ready to take the penalty. Now, if you calculate the the time difference between the referee blowing his whistle and the player starting his run-up to take that penalty, England players have the quickest reaction time out of any country in penalty shootouts. So the England reaction time is 0.28 seconds from the referee blowing his whistle to the start of uh, the run-up. And in the case of Jamie Carragher in 2006, he, he started his run-up and actually kicked the ball before the referee had even blown his whistle. Now this is a, a sign of stress. Uh, they're rushing it. They want to get it out of the way. They're not in control. They're basically acting on the referee's starting whistle, seeing it as a starting pistol as opposed to kicking when they're good and ready. Um, and And The sooner England players take their time and and slow down, I think, um, the better from that point of view. What else have they done wrong? Well, their goalkeepers haven't saved enough. I think uh, they're in a vicious cycle of of defeats, and it's been proven that the more shootouts you lose, the more you lose. So if you lost your your last shootout, you're more likely to, to lose your next one. And if you lost your last two, then your chances of scoring a penalty in the next one actually go down to 57%, which is really low given they should be around the 80% mark. So there is a cycle of defeat as well. Um, what else do England do wrong? They they look away from the goalkeeper too much after they spot the ball, so England kickers um, spot the ball and then walk back to their mark, and most regular penalty takers, if you watch this, most regular penalty takers walk backwards, so they're always facing the goal. But non-regular penalty takers turn their back on the goal, and that is seen by psychologists as gaze avoidance, and it's it's like fight or flight. You're looking away from your fears and you're not confronting them, but at some point you have to turn around. And that moment when you turn around is quite a scary one because the goalkeeper suddenly looks bigger and the goal looks smaller. Uh, and so players are recommended that they don't turn around they actually walk backwards. So that's, uh, that's a couple of um, reasons that, that, that might be to blame. But in terms of whether it's um, an international thing or a domestic thing, it is definitely an international thing. Because I ran a study on the the, um, nationalities of penalty takers in club football over the last 10 years and their penalty scoring record. And actually, English players playing for their clubs have the best record out of any nationality. And you can put that down to the likes of Lampard and Baines and Lambert, um, all of whom have brilliant penalty-taking records for their clubs. It's 82% in club football and in shootouts it's 66 percent so as soon as they wear the, the white shirt of England something happens and the a great example is really Ashley Cole who's not a regular penalty taker but in 2012 in the Champions League final he scored a really important and solid penalty for Chelsea against Bayern Munich in their shootout and about six weeks later stepped up for England in the shootout against Italy in the Euro 2012 quarter final, and hit a terrible penalty that was saved Now, how can the same player, six weeks later, look a totally different player? He didn't look confident, his body language was terrible, his eyes were down, he didn't look like he wanted to be there, he didn't look like he was going to score, and sure enough, he didn't. How can the same player do that, six weeks after scoring a penalty in the biggest club game of his career? I found it bizarre, but there is definitely something about the weight of the shirt, and this is what... Fabio Capello has mentioned in the past as well that he sees the players in training and they're great and as soon as they wear the England shirt, um, something happens in a a competitive match. And it certainly happens in penalties as well.
1: So presuming they make it out of the groups this summer and they get into the knockout stages, they play 120 minutes and it comes down to spot kicks, who would you have ideally take them out out of the current English squad?
3: Sorry, I lost you there, sorry.
1: All right, okay. Well, like, presuming they get out of the groups this summer and they get into the knockout stages, play 120 minutes and are still tied, who would you ideally have take a penalty for England?
3: Okay, well, that's a really good question. And um, I can only answer from what I've seen in, in club football, but the, the coaching staff themselves should know better than me which players are, are best equipped to take penalties in, in this situation. Um, they would have assessed the player's mentality. If you're playing for your country, you're good enough to, to score a free shot from 12 yards anyway. So it comes down to which players are best at performing under pressure and react best to the pressure. Uh, you can look at, you know, the strikers, and there are a lot of good strikers in the squad. Rooney is the, an obvious one. Harry Kane is an obvious one. Um, I would say Vardy if he's if he's playing and on the pitch or available. Um, you know, at the moment. Look, feels like he's going to score whenever he shoots. So those would be three. Um, and then, I don't know. I mean, feels like looks like a confident player. Um, Leighton Baines is an obvious one. Guys that I, I wouldn't necessarily want to take a penalty. Uh, 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 oh, no, maybe I, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't tell you who I wouldn't who want to wouldn't take a one? penalty. But let me just say, it was no surprise to me that um, Raheem <laughs> Sterling and Daniel Sturridge did not step up. For their teams uh, on Sunday, even though one is a star striker and one is the most expensive player who was on the pitch, <laughs> um, I, I thought it was quite sensible of their teams not to put them forward. So I'd be a bit twitchy if they stood, stood up. But you know, let's look at defenders as well. Gary Cahill can probably strike a ball. Uh, Nathaniel Klein is is probably quite solid. Um, so it comes down to the coaching know, coaches knowing the players better than anyone else. And they're the ones who are going to know who is who is ready for it. The worst thing a coach can do is let the players choose who should take the penalties. Because I think that way is, uh, well, it's not coaching, it's, 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 it's letting the players decide and, and the coach should know the player better than the player knows himself. So from that point of view, I, I hope the England team um, have been practising with purpose, in the run-up to it and are, are, are ready for any eventuality because it could be that their number one penalty taker goes off injured or is sent off and someone else has to step up but that player who's going to step up should know beforehand that he will be taking a penalty so he can prepare himself mentally before the game.
1: And finally, just before I let you go, but, and uh, Lionel Messi seems to be great at everything. He's... Arguably the greatest player of all time, definitely the greatest player in the world at the moment. When it comes to hitting a still ball from twelve yards out, he doesn't seem to do that well. Why do you think that is?
3: Yes, that's a great question. It's the p- potentially the one thing that he can improve in the game because, as you say, and I agree, I think he's the best the world has, the best player that was has ever seen. So there is a flaw, but there is um, some precedent for it as well because. Maradona, the player that he's been most compared to, also was a bit twitchy from penalties. He once missed five penalties in a row when he was playing for Boca Juniors. So it can happen. But for me, the change with Messi has been um, in, his, in his routine. He, he changed his strategy from being a goalkeeper-dependent penalty taker. So he'd wait and then go, go for it, um, diving, uh, kicking the ball to wherever the goalkeeper wasn't going. And he switched his strategy to goalkeeper independent. So he just picked his spot. And if the goalkeeper chooses the right spot, then it's going to be saved, or more likely to be saved. In fact, 30% more likely to have your penalty saved if the goalkeeper goes the right way. So that is why he only scored five out of ten penalties in the last year. Um, and I think the sooner he changes his, his strategy back from goalkeeper... Where was I? From goalkeeper um, dependent to goalkeeper independent. He needs to change back to goalkeeper dependent, and then I think he'll get back on track. But, uh, you know, far be it for me to say how the best <laughs> player in the world can improve his game. He, he's, I think he's doing pretty fine without me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's not too worried about it, all right. Listen, Ben, thanks very much. You can follow Ben on Twitter at BenLYT, and his book 12 Yards is available on Amazon and in all decent bookshops. Um, it was great to have you on. Thanks very much.
3: Thanks guys,
1: great to chat. So moving on to League of Ireland, we've got Jack O'Toole in the studio with Aaron Galler who will be talking to Ryan Kelly from Goal Ireland on the upcoming League of Ireland season.
0: We're now joined by Ryan Kelly from Goal.com. Um, obviously, massive week for, for, for Goal.com, Ryan, with the season kicking off.
5: Yeah, everything's getting ready to go and we're just looking forward to the, the first weekend. Obviously, we had the, the curtain raiser uh, last Saturday with Dundalk and uh, Cork City, which was, a, which was an interesting encounter. But uh, everything gets going now in this coming week.
0: Yeah, we'll just actually, we'll just start then. Actually, um, uh, we'll start off with the two teams coming up. Before we get to the dock, we'll jump to the dog in a minute. And um, Wexford, you take on Longford, and Finn Harps take on Derry City in a Northern Derby. How do you think the two promoted teams will fare this season?
5: Um, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a difficult one for, uh, as as it often is, as we we see we see it with uh, the likes of Athlone and. Um, and and the other clubs that that came up last uh, a couple of seasons ago that that, it, that they can find it hard to to adjust to the pace of the game, um, but I think both teams they have two good managers they've got they've got um, uh, Finn Harps have Ollie Horgan and Wexford Youth have uh, Shane Keegan Shane Keegan and they've been there for a while now so they have that continuity, and uh, they'll be confident that they can mix it with the with the Premier Division teams but uh, there I think there'll be a period of uh, of um, getting used to it, you know, getting used to the pace of things. But I think that they'll, they'll be able to pull off results um, throughout the season. But uh, I think it'll be a struggle overall.
0: Now, the dark the are the reigning champions. Um, and obviously Richie Taylor was so instrumental to what they did last year. 26 goals from midfield. It was quite unbelievable, to be honest. Um, how do you see them faring without Richie this season?
5: Without Richie, I think, uh, I think they will feel it. Um, 25 league goals is uh, is a phenomenal amount, especially for a midfielder. Um, and if you look at if you look at the goal tally that Dundalk had last season, they got uh, you know an amazing amazing goal tally, 78 goals, uh, which was 21 more than uh, than w- what their nearest rivals Cork City scored. Um, so I think that like the, their their midfield will be be, be very different without uh, without Richie Tyler this season. But having said that. They've retained the they've retained the spine of their team, and uh, they've retained the entire back five, which was uh, which was so strong that season, only conceded uh, 23 goals, and, and 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 the fact that they ha- have retained that spine and that self belief that that already exists there means that they'll they'll still be there or thereabouts challenging for three in a row, whether or not they'll be able to do it with uh, with the other teams strengthening, uh, remains to be seen, um, but they'll definitely be up there up there challenging, you know.
6: Hi Ryan, Aaron here. Uh, Dundalk were clearly stronger than everyone else last year they sort of ran away with the league. Can you see anyone putting it up to them this year and I guess would you read much into Cork's President's Cup win last week?
5: Well I, th- I think uh, there's, a tendency to, there's, a, there's a tendency to kind of uh, dismiss these these types of pre-season games as uh, as being not really an, an indicator of, of where teams are at but I think that uh, I think the Cork City in beating, in beating Dundalk that They've thrown off real psychological shackles there, and um, it's the first time they've beaten them under John Caulfield. And um, they they have been co- they're coming into this season looking to overtake them to knock Dundalk off the perch. And uh, if you look at the, the the players that they've added, they've added a, a new kind of uh, a dynamic player, uh, young, energetic um, players like Stephen Stephen Sean Maguire, uh, Garold Morrissey coming back from from Cambridge United. But they've also added uh, uh, Greg Bolger and, and Kenny Brown, and, and those are experienced league-winning, cup-winning uh, players. And I think that I think that they'll have uh, they'll they'll have more in their locker this season to to really um, to really push Dundalk further and maybe maybe even overtake them, especially with Dundalk uh, missing the likes Richie Cole.
6: And just moving a bit lower down the table, apart from the promoted teams, Finn Harps and Wexford the youth, would you see anyone else struggling this year?
5: I was thinking that uh, Longford, Longford Town might, uh, you know, they might find it a bit difficult. Uh, even though they they finished uh, they finished mid-table last season, which was uh, which having come up was was quite uh, impressive. Um, but I think uh, I think uh, I, I think of the of the other teams that are going to be in mid-table, I, I think it'll be a very I think it'll be a very competitive uh, mid-table. I'd say the top four or five. I think it'll be very competitive down down towards the bottom. Um, I think Galway United, like even though they, they finished, they finished just above uh, uh, Limerick in, in tenth uh, last season, and, and I think that Tommy Dunn has really strengthened them as well. So um, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be very, very, very uh, competitive in the in the, in the mid, middle of the table. Um, but I can't really see past the likes of uh, Finn, Finn Harps and Wexford, and maybe throw Longford in there. Uh, uh, at the bottom for the relegation fight
6: you know and the league has seen a significant rise in prize money Fran Gavin at the launch last week announcing that it will go up 50% do you think clubs will place more of an, em- more of an emphasis now on winning the league as opposed to just concentrating on getting the Europe League spots
5: well absolutely it's a, it's a further incentive to to finish as high up the table as as, uh, as they can and I think but I think that it's always I think incentive is always there to get up as high as you can in, in the table um, but uh, we, we'll see as the season goes on. Uh, teams will adjust their their expectations um, for how how far up the table they finish. Uh, I think for clubs like uh, for clubs like Shamrock Rovers and St. Pat's and uh, those that are going to be challenging at the top of the table, they'll be looking to they'll be looking to ensure that they get as high up as they can, you know. Um, because as we've seen with the likes of Shamrock Rovers missing out in Europe in the past few seasons. Um, it, it has had an it has had an impact, uh, both psychologically and fin- financially, and um, they'll be keen to make sure that they get up as high as they can. And that I, added that added incentive is is just another uh, reason why they they'll be going all out, you know.
6: And focusing on Europe, uh, obviously no Irish teams advanced the Europa League or Champions League last year. UCD and Shamrock did well to get through a round. Dumdog probably came closest. They did brilliantly against Barosov. But do you see any Irish teams faring any better this year?
5: Well, it's it's very it is very difficult it is very difficult for the Irish teams uh, as we've seen um, in the past few seasons. Um, I think for Dundalk they, they will feel like they can definitely haven't done so well in the Europa League uh, two seasons ago, and then having run batty Barathov so close, I think that they will take a lot of confidence from that. Um, and if they get a, if they get a, a more favourable draw. Uh, they they will they will surely believe that they can go on and and push through a few rounds and maybe do do better this season. I know Cork City for a fact they they'll be looking to uh, like they returned to the Euro, Euro, European football with the Europa League last season and they would be a bit disappointed with how they how they got on against KR Reykjavik. But I think that their aim will be to get through more rounds this season again. And uh, and who knows maybe push on. But it's uh, it, it remains one of those hurdles that uh, Irish clubs. Um, they find find difficult to surpass. So, um, but I think that the likes of uh, Cork City, Dundalk, and Shamrock Rovers, and I think they'll be I think they'll be looking to looking to get through a few more rounds again this this year. You know.
0: Now Ryan, obviously last week's season launched, um seeing the introduction of the of the under-17 and under-19 leagues, um, and they're finally going to be running parallel to the Premier and First Division seasons. Do you think the introduction of these leagues and the fact that they'll actually be in conjunction now with the Premier and First Divisions, do you think this will serve as any sort of the deterrent, the schoolboys moving over to England, as, as I suppose providing some sort of professional structure um, domestically?
5: Well, I, th- I think it's definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah. Um... For, for the clubs, uh, as far as the clubs are concerned, in terms of uh, encouraging young guys to stick around and, and to show them that they have a pathway to uh, the highest level of football here in Ireland. But uh, I'm not so sure that it'll, that it'll necessarily act as a deterrent uh, per se. It, it gives them another option, which is good, but I think that first first and foremost, we find that uh, it's very hard for young young footballers and young uh, young players to turn down the advances of, of clubs uh, cross-channel in Britain um because of because of what's uh, what's on offer um you know the chance to to maybe break through in, into um into the into the first team of uh, what some of the biggest clubs in the world or in the biggest leagues in the world um but you know we uh, we've seen that the players in hindsight they often look back and wish they had have stayed around so um i think that uh it's good. It's good that they have the other option, and I think that will, in the long term, it will it will prove to be uh, a a, gr- a good move for Irish football in terms of um, giving giving players the uh, viable alternative to going over to uh, going over to England at the first opportunity.
0: Finally, Ron, just before we let you go, could we get your predicted champions, top four, and teams that you think might go down?
5: Yeah, I I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this for the past uh, the past few few days. More sleepless so. nights.
0: Uh, sorry, sleepless nights. I suppose.
5: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I think that I think that um, I think that Cork City might just have it in them this season to uh, to go to take it that extra step and win the league. Um, I think that uh, I think that like they've shown, like they've taken that first psychological step in beating Dundalk and lifting the President's Cup, and. There's that hunger and desire to go there and really and, and really kind of uh, prove their doubters wrong. You know, um, I think it'll be very. It's very very hard. History shows it's very very hard for any team to do three in a row. Um, so I think that that all the all the pointers all, all the indications are kind of pointing towards for me anyway. Uh, Cork City going ahead, uh, maybe then Dundalk might finish second, Shamrock Rovers third, and I think we might see a surprise in in fourth position. I think it's kind of up for grabs. Like the last few seasons, St Pat's have been there or thereabouts, but they've had a bit of a they've had a bit of a changeover in, in personnel. They've they've had a few lads going out like Bolger and Brown, uh Forrester of course. Hmm. Uh, and uh, but they've brought in good players too. But I think that the other the other mid-table clubs will be will be pushing for that. And I think that maybe uh, maybe even Sligo Rovers under Dave Robertson might push up and and, and, and challenge for fourth. In terms of going down, I reckon um, I reckon it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight between between Wexford and uh, Wexford Juice and Finn Harps, and maybe maybe even dare I say it, uh, the Derry City might be even drawn, find themselves drawn into a, a, another scrap at the bottom bottom end of the table with with Longford Town perhaps.
0: Yeah, Even with a, even with a revamped brandywell, it doesn't look like in your opinion anyway that's going to change um, Derry City's yeah. fortunes but we'll see if it actually ends up eventuating Ron Kelly thanks very much for joining us of course with, with all League of Ireland coverage you can head to Goal.com Ireland um, cover a lot, of, a lot of different teams and a lot of different aspects so you can get all your coverage there thanks very much for joining us Ron and that's the end of this week's football podcast thanks very much for listening in and you can join us at the same place next week thank you <laughs>